Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. So for um, the summer, we've been talking about our encounters with God and our own stories of encounters with God. And while we hope that this is a, a way of being together in the world with God leading us, um, our time of, of, of really centering around that um, draws to a close today. And I wanted to conclude by sharing um, something that has really arisen out of my story, and it's kind of a it's kind of a dangerous thing sometimes for someone who's preaching because um, there's this need, uh, I think, that's right to allow your own life to be broken and and healed by the gospel and then offer something out of that place. There's also a danger of sharing too much of your own story because it's not about me. Um, and also because we're all very different people and your story may not connect in any way. <laughs> with my own experience. But when I uh, was growing up, I, I grew up in a very devout Christian home that I am immensely grateful for. But sometimes the, the, the uh, sort of um, stereotypes apply, and I was in every way a firstborn. And I really wanted to get things right. And if there was something that was wrong, I wanted to make it right. And if I thought there was something wrong with me, I wanted to make sure that I set that straight. And, and when you put that in a, in a spiritual environment that sometimes, uh, without perhaps realizing it, can really lean on guilt for motivation, you can end up with something like a toxic uh, connection. I remember... Uh, and I, and, I, and I hesitate to share this story uh, because it may put someone in a bad light. It's not really at all what I'm intending. It's just we all screw up. I screw up with my boys every day. <laughs> and if they ever happen to have a forum like this, they'll get a chance to air my dirty laundry, right? <laughs> um, but it, it just, it, the story kept returning to me this week. I was probably six years old. And my dad, as I told some, I've told before, my dad was a, a traveling evangelist, which is, you don't see this much anymore, but we would go from church to church for a week at a time, and my dad would speak in the church. It was called revival meetings, and we'd, I'd be in preaching for like seven times a week, which is a whole lot. And um, at the end of each service, there would be a, an invitation, an altar call, and people would come forward and pray. And, and uh, I remember coming forward being racked with guilt just overwhelmed at the age of six um, because that night we'd gone to some people's house for dinner and they'd had a, an older kid like eight or nine I went to his room and somehow I got really carried away and I had said the word upchuck like vomit right and I was absolutely racked with guilt that I had said some evil word like six years old right so I'm down I'm, I'm at the altar I'm responding to the altar call and I'm there uh, praying, and my, my mom comes down. She can tell, like, something's going on, and she comes, she puts her arm around me. She goes, what? And I said, I'm really sorry. I'm telling God I'm sorry. I said the word upchuck. And, um, and my mom put her hand, she was kind and gentle, but she's like, well, just tell, tell, just confess this to God, and, you know, he'll forgive you. 
and it was relieved at that moment, but I've th thought back on that a number of times and thought this would have been a wonderful opportunity for my mom to say, oh, you don't need to worry about that. <laughs> uh, God was probably laughing right alongside you, you know. And that story might seem so ridiculously outlandish, but it gives a hint how that at age six, and this only continued as I went through high school and into college, and there was long seasons in my life where I was so overwhelmed by guilt that I literally thought it was going to suffocate me. This was exacerbated because the religious system that I grew up in had um, an acute sense of listening to God and always being immediately obedient. And some of the language just got couched in was, if you ever have a voice inside you telling you you've done something wrong, that's the Holy Spirit. And you better respond. There may be only a handful of people, if any, who are aware of this, but if you happen to be someone who is acutely introspective about your failures, and if you happen to be told that any voice that tells you you've done something wrong is God, and God gets angry really fast and may throw you into the burning pit of fire, you can imagine how, particularly when you're someone who actually does sin, who actually does make mistakes, added on top of all of the things that probably weren't sin at all or any kind of mistake, you have a really difficult space. So I went into a long season where I had to really grapple with what does God's voice sound like? There's this scripture in John 10 when Jesus is talking to his disciples who are perplexed as they often are. And he, he tells his disciples, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Well, that's a very comforting thing if you need to be told that God does actually talk to us or communicate with us or love us in intimate ways. It's a very disconcerting thing if you're not sure you actually ever hear the shepherd's voice. So one person may hear this line and it may be a word of encouragement. Someone else may hear this line and it's a word of condemnation. <laughs> I don't hear it. I must not be a sheep. Later in John 16, Jesus said to his disciples, I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. Isn't it interesting to think that Jesus didn't get to say everything he wanted to say? When the spirit of truth comes, Jesus said, this spirit will guide you into all truth. For the spirit will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the father has is mine. For this reason, I said that the spirit will take what is mine and declare it to you. So we have this word from Jesus that he is like a shepherd that he communicates with the sheep. There's an intimate relationship, but it raises all kinds of questions for me. Well, what does this voice sound like that I'm supposed to recognize? <laughs> and the truth of the matter is, I got a lot of um, mixed messages about what this voice sounds like. I wanted to share with you um, a few things that I want to say saved me. I'm not going to claim for a moment that this is any kind of comprehensive instructions for discerning God's voice. I wouldn't pretend to have anything to say about that. But I, I do want to offer just a few pieces of wisdom that have over the years 
begun to liberate my heart. I don't even know if I have time to give all these, and maybe we'll pass them along next week or in an email or something. I don't normally preach a message like this. I actually have a list here. This is strange. God's voice, it sounds like Jesus. We said last week, if you want to see what God is like, you look at Jesus. Jesus has complete welcome, complete acceptance alongside in a way that perhaps only Jesus can do rightly, an intense challenge to pursue those things that are true and good. There's Jesus with the woman caught in adultery, a pawn who'd been manipulated by the religious powers. There was no care for her person, for her dignity, and Jesus comes alongside her and is with her. No shame. But he does tell her, go and sin no more. There's Jesus weeping with Mary in front of her brother Lazarus' tomb. There's Jesus also overturning the money changers' tables. A bold Jesus. And it's, it's difficult words often that Jesus offers us. So Jesus is kind, but he's not delicate. It's a remarkable combination of strength, but gentle. God's voice sounds like love. The scripture tells us that God is love. There are some parents who rough up their kids and call it love. There's other parents who never say no and call that love, and neither one of those are really love. Jesus is something different. God's voice does not sound like guilt or shame or fear. If what you're overwhelmed by is guilt or shame or fear, then that is not God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 9 to 10, Paul gives a really remarkable distinction when he talks about the difference between a worldly sorrow and a godly sorrow. A godly sorrow, Paul says, leads to repentance and salvation. But a worldly sorrow, or sorrow leads to regret and death. God's voice does not smother, it does not silence, it does not destroy. Grief or sorrow that locks us up or crushes us is not God. Any sorrow that God sends us, and it's true, God will send us sorrow. But any sorrow that God sends us is just enough to clear the path to set us free. So there's guilt, which is this constant hollowing sense that we've done something wrong. You just sort of live with it. Your mind is almost always searching for something that you've done wrong. There's shame. It's the persistent suffocating sense that there's something wrong with us. Like there's just something, I'm just not good enough. There's something wrong with me. There's fear the constricting sense that we're missing something, that we don't have the right answers, that there's something to dread about our life or something to dread about God or something to dread about our own personhood. It's like the difference between whenever you've had a really uh, harsh interaction with a friend, a spouse, and you said things that you just, you know, aren't true. And you walk away from that and there's a deep, sense of what the old word is, conviction. (laughs) 
of, I, I have done wrong there. And there's this compelling sense that I, I must do right. And so you go to that person and you say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And it lifts. Because all that the Holy Spirit is inviting you to is to truth and life and freedom. That's really different from when you walk away from a conversation and your mind just begins to whirl about like, oh my gosh, uh, should I have said this differently? Should I have said that differently? Did this person hear this that way? Did this person hear that that way? And all of a sudden you find yourself constantly apologizing to yourself and apologizing to everyone around you. That's the voice of shame. And these heavy, destructive, cannibalizing voices, they can come from all sorts of places. They can come from our parents or our community who nursed us with a persistent message that we are a screw-up, that we're a mess, that we're unworthy of love or attentiveness, that we need to get things right for a relationship to be okay. They can come from a society that runs on achievement, fear of not measuring up. It can run from biological or organic imbalances. It can come from the evil one who is bent on destroying ever glimmer, every glimmer of beauty, and you are God's glimmer of beauty in the world. And the evil one is described in Scripture as one who is accuser of our soul. From my own experience, this kind of voice is usually nebulous. And it's this overwhelming cloud. It's not very specific. Or if it's specific, specific, there's nothing I really know that I can do about it to make it right. You can't go back 20 years in the past and write something. And if what you're overwhelmed with is some memory from 20 years ago that you've made right as best you're humanly able and it still continues to dog you, that is not God. No matter if a preacher tells you it is, if I tell you it is ever or indicate anything that would make you think that it is, it's not true. I wonder if some of us are running from God's voice, afraid of God's voice even, but it's not actually God's voice at all. So God's voice comes to us in a way that frees us up. God's voice always sounds like an invitation. God's voice has curiosity to it. Go through the scriptures and find out how many times God in the Old Testament or Jesus in the New Testament asked someone a question. It's remarkable. God seems even playful at times. Whenever you think that you're about to be shut down, overwhelmed, crushed, that's not God. God invites you into life, into freedom, into hope. Well, I think I need to stop because we don't have more time. And maybe we'll talk about more of this later or maybe we won't. But I, I wrestle with this this week because I honestly don't know how many other people wrestle with these kinds of things like I have and still do at times. Whether you wrestle like this or not, I want you to know that God's voice is strong and tender for you. And if you think, I don't ever hear God, I, 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 you do. <laughs> you do. I promise you do. You just may not be able to recognize it. 
Because maybe we expect handwriting on the wall or bolts of lightning, or perhaps we expect God to do something other than coming to us as our life <laughs> through other people, as Lynn reminded us. Perhaps it's all clouded because the way you've expected to hear God's voice is heavy and harsh and crushing, and we've run away from it because who can live like that? But God's voice is tender and strong and gentle. And I encourage you to be curious about where that voice may be in your life. Would you pray with me? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.